You're listening to the podcast, So You Want to Be a Writer, with Valerie Koo and Allison Tate. Valerie is an author, journalist, and national director of the Australian Writers Centre, which is one of the world's leading providers of online and classroom courses for people who want to get published and write with confidence. Alison Tate is a freelance writer, blogger, and author of the best-selling series The Mapmaker Chronicles. She has more than 20 years' professional writing experience. Each week, they explore the world of writing, publishing, and blogging to bring you news and opportunities, advice on how to succeed in the world of writing, interviews with top writers, and much more. With students enrolling from all over the world, you can find out more about the Australian Writer Centre at writercentre.com.au. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 203 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm here with Alison Tate. How are you, Al? What's happening? Apparently, I'm in a sing-song kind of mood. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> um, I, I'm fine, Val. I'm, I'm still working through the school holidays, but I'm yes. totally fine. Do I sound fine? You sound fine. Yes, you sound fine. See, I'm doing a very good impression of being fine. <laughs> exactly, exactly, because we know what Al's likes during school holidays. <sighs> so we want to give a big shout-out to everyone who is in our Facebook group. Come and join us. Come and stop by if you haven't already. It's such an awesome group of um, so many different people from so many different walks of life but all interested in the craft of writing. All you need to do is search for So You Want to be a writer podcast community on Facebook and it'd be great to see you in there. You yes. can join the cake wars. There's cake wars yeah, in there, the people. Cake wars. It's all oh, happening no. in the cake wars. <laughs> I find it fascinating. Oh, I, no. I liked that look at that chocolate one the other day that someone oh, put it. It was like a tart no. but then it had banana oh, in it. And God. it was very cute. Somebody was like, I can see Al's face when, oh, <laughs> when she sees this. <laughs> You can so just funny. replace the banana with pear, canned pears. Trust oh, me. Oh, can you? How do you Trust know that? me. Did you try it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Canned pears. Really, okay. if you don't like banana, trust me, trust me, trust me. If you don't like banana, just get the um, canned pears and slice it or, you know, do it, whatever. And where you would normally put the banana, put the pears, particularly in banoffee, and um, it's still a taste sensation. Except it'd be mm-hmm. pear offy, I guess, not banoffy. Pe- pe- pear offy or something. Are you inventing a new thing? <laughs> Leah Weston, I just want to give you a shout out and thank you for that fantastic gif. I'm going to call it a gif, even though I think it's still a gif, really, um, okay. of me and my face looking at that banana tart. <laughs> <laughs> made so me cool. So much. Yes. Do join us in Facebook. Uh, it's free to join. Um, it'd be great to have you in there. So this is a mini-sode and in between our regular programming, we have mini-sodes where we often answer listener questions. And if you do have a question, pop the question into the Facebook group and we will hopefully answer it in an upcoming episode. Now, this one is from Hakia Jade and Hakia Jade has a really good question. She's asked, how do I reach the YA audience? target teachers that then look uncool if the target audience comes by? What blogs slash podcasts slash websites are parents of teens using? 
how do I convert visits from the above target audience into an email list? My list is zero after three months, but I have never asked anyone to sign up yet, I suppose. <laughs> can I just tackle the last question? The yes, last please bit do first? that. I can hear that you want to, so I feel you should. <laughs> Which is if you're going to start an email list, People need to know that they can join it or need to be asked to join it or they won't. It's as simple as that. So make sure that you are building an email list but by perhaps offering something in return, maybe a, a free chapter or maybe um, just a list a list of useful things that, that your particular target market might find interesting. And if you don't want to offer anything, just at the very least, you need to ask. And you know, don't ask on just one page. Make sure it's like on the sidebar or on a on a banner or, or something or somewhere subtle, but put it on every page of your website and blog. It can just be part of the structure of your website and blog and make sure that on every page is an opportunity for people to sign up. So I was mentoring uh, somebody who after um, oh two years or something of having uh, the, an opportunity for people to sign up to their email list buried, I had to take nine clicks before I finally found where I could sign up to their email newsletter. So after two years, they had maybe 40 people on the list. And I said, please just put it on every page and make sure you put it out there on social media to say, hey, you can join my email list if you like. And within two weeks, she was already at 400. So you know, oh. if you put it on every page as opposed to just one and also make it clear to people, like she offered some kind of incentive. It wasn't a free chapter, but it was something like that. Um, actually, it might have been a free chapter. I can't remember. Uh, because she offered an incentive and put that out on social media, she had more takers. And these days she's now more around the 9,000 mark. Oh. So you've got to ask seriously. But What do you think about the pop-up, Val? I'm going to ask you this question because – I've had a pop-up for a little while now and I have found it has increased my newsletter sign-up rate. Um, but then I've been reading a lot of posts just in the last week or two saying you've got to get rid of the pop-up. What are your thoughts on the pop-up? Um, I'm philosophically fine about the pop-up. However, there uh, and I'm not an SEO person, I'm not a Google expert, I also have been reading the posts saying you've got to get rid of the pop-up, not because necessarily it's annoying or whatever, but because Google may penalize you if you do have the pop-up. So that's what uh -huh. I've been reading, not because I'm philosophically against it. And also when the pop-up was available, there were certain programs that you could um, – you know, pay for or use where it would recognize the IP address of the person who was uh, visiting your site. And if they'd already signed up or if they'd already been in your site before, you know, before a certain number of uh, a certain time period, then the pop-up wouldn't appear. And so I thought that that was a good idea. But now I am actually phasing out pop-ups because of the whole Google thing, not because I – think they're the devil. <laughs> yeah, okay. But because Google thinks they're the devil. <laughs> okay. But like I, I will said, get I'm, rid of the pop-up. But like I said, I'm not, you know, necessarily a Google expert. This is just what I've been reading as well. Mm, but okay. we digress. Well, we do. So, Sorry, we did. We really did. So let's go to Hikea Jade's question about how to reach the YA audience. Okay, you have to to reach no to reach the YA audience. You have to actually speak to the YA audience. It's really actually quite important that you speak to the YA audience. Um, and you got to remember that the YA audience is is you know everyone from the age of about 
you know, 13 to, you know, 65. So there's, you know, it, YA is is uh, is read really, really widely. So that's that's really important to remember. Um, but I think the best way to, to have a look at, you know, what people are doing to actually talk to the YA audience is to look at people who are doing it really well. Um, so find examples of authors who are, you know, right out there talking to their to their audience, and people like Jay Kristoff and Amy Kaufman of Illuminae fame come to mind immediately. They have huge followings. Um, they are just themselves. They're not talking down. They're not sort of like trying to be cool. They're not trying to hit the teen market. They're just being themselves and they have huge followings because of it. But there's a lot of Australian YA authors that do actually do this really, really well. Um, so Ellie Marnie is great. She's She, she yeah. talks to her audience really well. Um, who else? Nova Wheatman talks to the audience really well. Um, Nicole Hayes talks to the audience really well. Yeah. If you have a look at just around the traps, at, you know, who's writing YA? John Green's amazing. Um, so my my son, Book Boy, who's 13, uh listens to his podcast with, you know, that there's a, there's a, a John and Hank Green podcast. There's a vlog brothers YouTube channel. There's a, they have got, there's that many things going on around those two. None of them, none of them, you would, if you listen to them, you would be thinking, oh, these guys are trying to be hit with the teens. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like they are just themselves. And their podcast is full of philosophical debate about, you know, all manner of different things um, that then send, you know, my son off, you know, scurrying down Google black holes, uh, looking mm. for more information about, you know, psychological testing and this and that and whatever. Um, so I think you need to think more about what's your book about um, and sort of like extrapolate off the kind of things that you and that the subjects that interest you rather than trying to like talk to a specific group of people that doesn't really exist because the YA audience is so incredibly broad. Think about it's like any platform thing, you know, you've got to think about what you've got to offer and why people would be interested in what you're doing and how to reach the people that are interested in what you're doing. Um, so I think it's probably that's important, but you definitely with a YA audience, you're not talking to teachers, you're not talking to librarians and you're certainly not talking to parents with middle grade. You can talk to parents because parents are buying books for kids that are that age, but the YA audience buys books for themselves. So it's really important to think about that. Absolutely. And it's so important to talk to that audience and, and not the teachers and parents because, as you say, there are so many people who read YA who aren't necessarily teenagers. You know, my mm -hmm. friend who I catch up with regularly, we talk about books, she would be 27 and she reads 95% of what she reads is YA simply because she likes it. Yeah. And so, you know, imagine talking to her parent. <laughs> oh, that's <laughs> right. And, and there's also there's a terrific website called insideadog.com.au, insideadog.com.au, which is, of course, named after the Groucho Marx quote, outside of a dog, a book is a man's best friend, inside a dog, it's too dark to read. So it's called insideadog.com.au. And it's just, it's aimed at the, it's, it's a why, it's very much a, a site aimed at teen readers of YA, like it, it's it's a real kind of more of a teen site, um, and it's it's they they run the Inky Awards, which is you know the books 
that are judged by teenagers, that are for teenagers, um, and it's a very prestigious award within Australia to win that because, each, you know, if you're writing YA, that's those are the people that you really want to get. I mean, there's a broad readership, but they're the people you're really writing for. Um, and they have, you know, they have interviews and they have what they also have on there, which is really worth having a look at, is like a gazillion book reviews of books for kids and teens reviewed by kids and teens. So it gives you an idea of what kids are looking at in books, what they're reading, why they're reading books, what they like about them, what they don't like about them. Um, Because I think that there's a certain tendency, you know, that people do forget that, you know, you're writing, when you're writing for kids and you're writing for, you know, YA, you are writing for younger people. Um, Yeah. You know, you want you want to you don't want to write down to them, but there is a certain element of of um, yeah, you're not writing for parents and teachers. <laughs> you're writing for you're writing for kids. Yeah, definitely. Mm. Right. Let's move on to the next question. This is from Damon, and Damon has said, "What about software? What is our opinion on things like Yriter, Scrivener, Google Docs, OpenOffice, or Microsoft Word?" Uh, Damon has said, I have tried YWriter and have written for years using Word and OpenOffice, but many writer friends are trying to get me to switch to Scrivener. I've bought it, but I'm still not convinced. Does anyone else use it? And what do Val and Al use? Well, off you go. <laughs> oh, we have this conversation regularly and it's always, you know, like I, I just think you use what works for you. Um, if Word's working for you and Open Office is working for you, then then you know you, you feel free to stick with that. You don't have to switch just because other people think you should. Having said that, I feel the same way as you about Scrivener. I feel like this. I, I feel like this probably should be a whole world opening up to me over there in Scrivener, and I'm not doing it simply because I know where I am with Word. I know how I write with Word, and it works for me. So I. Natasha Lester, who runs the Scrivener course at the Australian Writers' Centre, is very much very keen for me to um, have a crack at it, and you know, yes. and I and I I will. I'll I'll have a look at it. I haven't yet, but I will. I use Word. I do. I'm so boring. I use Word. What about you, Val? Okay. What do you do? Uh, well, with um, long form things, so anything that's book length or anything really exceeding. 20,000 words, I suppose, I will use Scrivener or anything that requires a lot of research and stuff, I will use Scrivener. However, all my articles, the things that I file for magazines and newspapers and online publications, that's either done on Word or Google Docs. So pretty straightforward. Um, Sometimes I will start it in Google Docs, uh, particularly if I'm putting a bunch of research in and I also want the same document to be available on all my devices. It's easy to do it into Google Docs, but ultimately I may eventually paste that into a Word document and send that into an editor at a publication simply because um, that's what they're used to as well. So, yes, that's a nice quick one. So let's move on to the question from Beth who has said, I'm currently seeking an agent for my first novel and many of the agents listed in the Writers and Artists yearbook in the UK version because she's British say they don't accept unsolicited submissions or manuscripts. Does this mean I can't approach them? I can understand this statement coming from a publisher who only takes submissions from agents, but it seems strange coming from an agent. All right. That's a good question from Beth. Yes, it is. What are your thoughts on that, Belle? 
Um, I think that it is almost like one of those standard things that people put out there, as in that they're not accepting unsolicited submissions because they will then get inundated. But the reality is they will accept new submissions or manuscripts if, for example, there's been an introduction or suddenly they discover an interesting person or whatever. So I think there's a couple of things here. They may say that now, but they may not say that tomorrow. So check back. I think it's important to check back uh, or or query them, as in you might have this in the Writers and Artists yearbook, but if you're referring to a print version of that, remember that that print version, it might only come out annually. Go to the website of the actual agent and see whether the same words are there because sometimes what it's out of date. They close their books occasionally just to kind of give themselves the reading space that they need. So it's important that you do check regularly um, and you you have to go, like when I say regularly, I'm talking weekly here because, you know, that window might open for two weeks and if you are only going once a month, you might miss it. You know what I'm saying? So if if it's a particular agent that you're really keen on, check regularly to see if they're accepting or not. Yep. So and if they're on the- social media, follow them because they might announce that they're open for two yeah, weeks. Yeah, that's so true. Yeah, media. that's so true. And um, and what's your second piece of advice, Valerie? Well, I think you were discussing it with me before we started recording, Al, about going to conferences. What do, do you think yeah, that's important? I, I think it's important to take up opportunities where you where you see them. So if you look, if you keep an eye on particularly different genres, have different sort of con- uh, conferences and things like the. Romance Writers of Australia have an annual conference. There's the Kidlick um, Victoria uh, conference. Mm-hmm. There's like lots of different ones, and they will have pitching sessions at those conferences, um, or even just writers festivals. A lot of the writers festivals will also have a stream where they will offer pitches um, with editors and agents. Um, and I think that if you are in a position to go to one of those, it's really it's a great opportunity because it does a couple of things. It puts you in the writing world, so it allows you to and. Obviously, they always have terrific sessions at these things, lots and lots of information, different speakers, published authors are there, agents are there. You know, you might meet somebody in the foyer that you just just don't know. So it's really good to go to them to get yourself immersed in the world of writing and to find out exactly what's going on in your particular area at any given time. So there's that. Then they have the – you have generally have to to book a pitching session, but it gives you the opportunity to really think about it because what you basically get with this is about five minutes and you go in there you've got your elevator pitch you um and there's a lot of information around about what you need to do in these pitching sessions so you don't have to go in blind um but you go in you give your pitch um and you know they might ask you to leave you know the first chapter or they might give you a card and say can you you know send your three first three chapters or or whatever it is that they're interested in. So the, the thing to do with that to make it successful is to have a look at the list of people that are accepting pitches, you know, at, that are, are holding pitch sessions and target the ones that you're really interested in that are going to be interested in you. So mm-hmm. in this, and in that sense of like choose carefully, you know, don't go and be pitching your nonfiction project to someone who mm-hmm. is, is interested in children's, you know, picture books. So mm-hmm. look really carefully at who's going to be there and who's who's going to be interested 
interested in what you've written. That's where you know it, it's um it's it's really important to think about you know the match up because the relationship that you have with this agent is very very important. They have to be um, a interested in what you're doing. They have to be the kind of agent that you want. Like whether you want an editorial agent or a business agent, they're quite different. Yeah. So have a look. You know, do your research. Look at at the agents that they're offering or the publishers that they're offering and think about because you'll probably only get into one or two. Like these are very very like in-demand sessions. Mm -hmm. So have a look at that and then, you know, hone your pitch because it's going to make you think really, really carefully about what your book is actually about. Um, And, you know, you need to be able to put that across in a very, very short space of time. So, you know, think about that too. But that's a great way for you to actually get an invitation to submit to an agent or publisher. And I agree with that uh, 100%. Never underestimate the uh, power of meeting someone face-to-face at something like an industry conference. And that, that's exactly what happened to Shelley Unwin, who is a graduate of the Australian Writers' Centre. She did writing picture books and, and the course uh, Become a Children's Author. And she's now um, – She's her, her books have been released and she's got another two lots of books um, coming up. But she went to a speed pitching session at a writer's conference and that's how she met her agent and, you know, the rest is history kind of thing. So it's so important to be part of the industry and to meet people face-to-face and not to hide behind query letters and emails and, and you know, maybe even phone calls. If you meet someone face-to-face, it makes all the difference. And it's a little bit scary, but you're not the only person there that's nervous. Yes. It's really important to remember that. Like it's, But you've kind of got to put yourself out there a little bit to make this happen, I think. Definitely. And our final question is from Robert. Robert has said, I'm currently going through some of some editing now and picking up a lot of little emphasis and authors uh, and punctuation concepts that I'm hoping will improve my future work. I'm curious as to whether traditionally published authors find the edits they get back to be less and less as they build up their knowledge. After 10 books, does a structural editor have little to do? That's an interesting question. It's a great question. And the answer Mm. is yes and no. (laughs) Yes. Um, Because it comes down very much to the book in question, of course, always comes back to the book. So as an example, um, the structural edit on the fifth book, uh, so on my fifth book, which was the Book of Secrets, the Adaban Cipher, was relatively light, like it really was, because I had written four Mapmaker Chronicles books and I was like, yeah, I've got the I know what I'm doing here. This is awesome. Um, But the structural edit on the second book of the book of, of the Adaban Cipher series, which is called the book of answers and which is coming out in March next year was actually quite involved. And the reason for that was that the concept of what I was going to do with that particular series had changed. So I'd written the first book and I had pitched it as three books and I had this whole, you know, developmental arc worked out in my head and how it was going to work. And then, um, you know, in consultation with my publisher, we decided that we would do it as two books. We would do the book of secrets and we would do the book of answers. So I had to remove the whole middle book. Now, given that the first book had been written and had been structurally edited and was pretty awesome and I really didn't want to do too much to it, that meant a lot of reassessment of the second book and how I was going to do that. So what happened with that was that I I needed to uh, work through – I wrote the manuscript – but I needed to work through the structural edit of that quite closely with my editor to make sure that I got 
everything that I had wanted to get into two books basically into one essentially mm. not and the second book was was it was going to be the middle book was going to be a more of a traveling book so it wasn't that um it wasn't that difficult to actually take out the whole section because I just basically had us end at one point and start at the next um but there was there was some developmental work that was happening through that second book that I then had to put into the first third of the second book, which did require a lot of rethinking. So mm. it depends very much on the book. Having done, said that, though, the copy edit of book two was was like practically moving three commas because I had done so much work on the structural mm. edit and getting that right that it was a lot different. And things you, you definitely – you learn a lot with every book that you do. So um, I, I know the words that I overuse regularly. Mm-hmm. Uh, frowning, for example, my, my characters tend, do tend to frown quite a bit, particularly before we get to the copy edit stage. Um, and so I very much am I'm really aware of those now and I'm very much as I'm working on, my, like, for example, my my new projects at the moment, if I find myself using those that word, I change it now, mm. you know, before I've even finished the first draft because I um, I just know that they're going to frown 4,000 times by the end of the book <laughs> and I need to actually like uh, make life easy on myself and get rid of them now. So there's, you know, there, there is a lot that you learn. I've learned an awful lot about where to start the book, where to, mm. you know, where I have, you do learn an enormous amount as you go. Every edit, particularly when you have great editors, as I do, I've been really lucky. I have great editors, so every single edit, I learn. I learn something new that makes the next book easier. But there will always be a book that's going to make you reassess your whole process all over again. So I think it's. Um, I think it's just it's a case by case basis. But you get better as an author every time. I think. Yeah. I mean, after talking to billions of authors, I I agree with what you said in that a lot of them are saying that while the structural edit itself is very dependent on the story, what does get slightly easier or maybe maybe they didn't don't use the word easier but more efficient over time is the overall process it's mm. like what you were saying that now you know that you where to start your book more so than previously you would write more into your book um that these people find that they have an expectation that they know okay this is coming next and i'm i'm going to do this next so the process somehow does become a bit more efficient and a little bit more streamlined because they know what to expect um and what yes. is expected from them. Yes, and I mean, I remember the first structural edit I ever received and it was just so daunting because there, mm. were, there were basic uh, tenets of the story that had to change and I, I was just really aware of, you know, changing anything in the first sort of chapter was going to have these echoing and repercussions all the way through the through the manuscript. And when you're dealing with so many words, that can be a really daunting thing, whereas now – when I get the structural edit, I have a much clearer picture of, okay, well, if I do this, then I remember, I, I need to change X, Y, and Z as I go through and I need to keep a note of what's changed here. And, and you just get, as you say, you get better at the process. Um, and it's, I mean, it's never fun. There's no, there's no way it's fun ever. Um, but it's definitely not as daunting once you've done it, you know, six or seven times. Yeah. 
Fantastic. Okay. Well, if you have a question you'd like us to answer, then ping us in the Facebook group and we'll certainly try our best to answer it in the podcast. Uh, If we can answer it in the Facebook group, we will, but chances are we will answer it in the podcast. Or you can email us, podcast at writerscentre.com.au. In the meantime, you can find any show notes, show notes or things that we've mentioned at soyouwanttobeawriter.com.au. And where do we find you online, Al? Oh, you will find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T, and you'll find me on Twitter at, at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T, and you will find me on, where am I going? Facebook and Instagram at <laughs> Alison Tate Writer. And you, Val, where do we find you? <laughs> you'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram, and feel free to connect with me on Facebook. Uh, I'm pretty easy to find. I'm the Valerie Koo that lives in Sydney, or just connect with us while we're in the podcast community on Facebook. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.